Hi, welcome to my Parsha Share this week, Parsha's Mishpatim. It's a pleasure to have you all listening, watching, and if you want the source sheet, you'll be able to click on the link that we provide for you. If you want to subscribe to my channel, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening on SoundCloud, there's ways of doing it at the bottom of your screen, or on SoundCloud, you just have to subscribe to the channel and you'll get regular updates of when I uh, release recordings, videos, etc. Parshas Mishpatim, a fascinating parsha. This week we're going to look at my grandfather's Sefer, Mikdash HaLevi. Various different ways of looking at the first portion of Parshas Mishpatim. It's more general observations uh, and some wonderful stories which I'm going to share with you today through the eyes of my grandfather, Yosef Tzvi HaLevi Dunar, who was the Rivad of London. He was the Rosh Bezdin in London for 50 years, more than 50 years uh, and he did an incredible job as one of the premier rabbis of Europe. And also after he passed away, we published this Sefer, the family published this Sefer of his Divrei Torah on the Parsha. We're now publishing Svarim of his Minhogim, the customs of German Jewry, uh, as practiced by him throughout his life and analyzed and annotated by my dear cousin in Bnei Brak, Zevi. And uh, an incredible work. We've already come out with one. We're coming out with a second one, which is the Minhogim to do with Shabbos. That's hopefully going to be over the next few months. Let's look at Parshas Mishpatim. These are the Mishpatim, the laws, the ordinances that I am placing before you. Ve'ele, says Rashi. What is Ve'ele called? Mokkim Shenemar Ele. Whenever it begins a chapter with the word Ele, that means it's totally separated. It's a new subject. We have not, it has nothing to do with that which came before. It is exclusive to whatever the subject matter is that's going to follow. When it says, when the Parsha begins with the word, then it is adding something to that which came before. And in the case of Parshas Mishpatim, which talks about the mundane laws, um, the ordinary laws of day-to-day -day life, of humanity at least. I mean, I know we begin Parshas Mishpatim with the laws of Eved Ivri, etc. That's not something that's relevant to us today, but the ordinary laws that govern the day-to-day -day life of society, that's what's contained in Parshas Mishpatim. That is not something which is separate from the awesome spirituality of Mount Sinai. And that's really the subject that my grandfather in his Sefer is going to focus on right now. He says, the truth is, you could ask a very good question. What exactly is the novelty? How exactly are we to assume that this is some great chiddush? that the Parsha that we're about to read, Parsha's Mishpatim, with all the laws pertaining to how we govern a society, that this is something not coming from Sinai. Of course it comes from Mount Sinai. Everything in the Torah comes from Har Sinai. Why would we assume differently? What is the Chiddush here? Every part of the Torah, in every aspect, in every detail, Nemrami Sinai comes from Mount Sinai, emerges, emanates, from the Sinai revelation. Why would this one, this particular parsha, which deals with the laws of society, civil law, why would that be something that would be different from every other aspect of the Torah that deals with law? 
The Nir Eloimai suggests as follows. You know, we have a Masechta in Shasin in the um, Shisha Sidre Mishnah in the Talmud called Meseches Avais. We call it Ethics of Our Fathers. Pirkei Avot. I've given many shiurim on Pirkei Avot. You can check out my website. I'm not quite finished yet. I think I'm somewhere in chapter 3 of Pirkei Avot. We'll get to the end eventually. But you can hear in the introductory uh, paragraph, in the introductory piece of Pirkei Avot, something that makes no sense in the context of other Mesechtas, of other tractates in the Talmud. How does it begin? How does Pirkei Avot begin? In a way that's completely different, that separates it out from every single other Masechta in Shas. Moses received the Torah at Mount Sinai. And you know what he did? He gave it over to Joshua, to Yehoshua, to his disciple, to his student. Yehoshua took the Torah from Moshe. And he handed it over as a legacy to the elders who followed him. The Zakanim took that legacy from Yahushua and they handed it over to the prophets that came after them. And the Nevi'im, who lasted quite some time from Shmuel Hanavi all the way through until the final Nevi'im, they gave it over to the Anshei Knesset Agdol at the beginning of the time of the second base Hamikdash. So for many hundreds of years, the Torah was in the territory belonged to, was being poured over and taught by the Nevi'im, by the prophets of Hashem. And only after we've gone through this process of deliberating who it is, that received the Torah and gave it over to whom, etc., do we begin to deal with the meat of the Masechta itself, the tractate that deals with the aspects of, uh, of, the, Jewish, of the human condition that Jewishly we refer to it as ethics, Musr, it's the way we conduct ourselves in our lives. It's not necessarily law, but how we're meant to conduct ourselves in a proper fashion. So the question is, why is Masechus Ovois? This is what not just the Bartanura asks, but every single one of the Mepharshim on the Mishnah asks, why is it that Masechus Oves deliberately, specifically, uniquely requires this rather unusual introduction? So my grandfather says this is a problematic introductory Mishnah. Why doesn't the Masechta immediately begin to deal with the aspects of Jewish ethics, Jewish morality, the way to behave, that that's what the Masechta is talking about? Why doesn't it deal with it straight away? Like every other Masechta in Shas. Let's take Masechus Brochus. That's the first Masechta in Shas. How does it begin? How do we begin the Masechta? By talking about the central theme, which is, well, we begin with the concept of Kriya Shema. And that's how the Mishnah marches in. It dives right in, talking about Kriya Shema, because that's a central aspect of the Tfilois, of the prayers that we have to recite on a daily basis. It continues talking about the Kriya Shema of Shachris. Then we talk about Shemana Esrei. Then we talk about Brochus, all the different aspects of Masechus Brochus that we deal with in the Masechta, in the Mishnais. Why 
does not have introduction because, of course, when you're dealing with a matter, a subject matter at hand, you dive right into it. You don't need an introduction. And that's how, in fact, what the Gemara often does at the beginning of a Masechta, is after the first mission, it says, How do we know these things in the beginning of Masechta's Brochus? In fact, that's exactly what happens. So how do you know that you have to say Shema? What is, why was there this assumption that you need to say Shema? But that's not the problem of the Mishnah. The Mishnah just deals with the subject matter at hand, doesn't delve into any side issues. This seems to be, at the beginning of Masechta's Ovis, a side issue. That's what the Bartanura asks and other Mepharshim, why do we need to give over the Messiah of from Moshe Rabbeinu and Har Sinai all the way through to Anshei Knesset and the various Tanoim and Amaroim, etc. And that's in fact how the Mishnah proceeds in Maseches Ovois. Um, Why was it necessary to include this introduction? About how the Torah was given from one generation over to the next. From the time that Moshe lived, until the time of the Tanoim, the rabbis, the Talmudic sages, who were the authors of the Mishnah. What is the necessity to include this particular aspect of Talmudic information at the beginning of Maseches Ovis? And this question, which is dealt with by all the Mepharshim, is asked by the Bartanur, who Mazbir Kach, and this is how he explains it. Oimer Ani, he says, this is what I say. This Masechta doesn't deal with some aspect of a commandment of a law that comes from all the other laws in the Torah. Like all the other Masechtas in the Talmud that deal with aspects of law. Baba Kama deals with its laws. Baba Metziah deals with its laws. Baba Basra deals with its laws, etc. We have, we have Kiddushin, we have Gitin, we have Shabbos, we have Erevin. We have all the laws that are specific to the Masechtos in Shas. Psochim, we deal with Korban Pesach, etc. This Masechta, Maseches Ovois, is totally different. Ela Kula Musarim Umidois. Do you know what it's talking about? It's talking about character. It's talking about how we as Jewish people need to behave. How we should behave. What is the manner of our behavior? How should we conduct ourselves in life? By the way, you could be a perfect person. I said this many times in the shiurim I've given on Masechus Ovois. You can be a perfect person in law terms. You can keep every aspect of the law and still be a nasty person. Still be not nice still not know how to behave in terms of interacting with other human beings. Maseches always is to teach you how to be a decent person, how to be a good Jew, not just because you've observed the mitzvahs, but because you understand their essence, you understand what it means to be a good Jew. Says, the Mikdash Halevi, my grandfather Sefer, beautiful, he says, you know what, what's, what's exactly, what's so unique about Masech HaSavis? Because the fact is that every other nation in the world throughout history has had those sages among that, that particular nation. Those nations have had their uh, professional philosophers, theologians, whoever they were, their great people who've written down, who've um, recorded what it means 
to behave as a good human being, but it's always been according to what they think is the right thing. What is it that you need to do in order to be a good human being? Hamu Rabbi, who was around the same time as Avram Avinu and the and the uh, and the Ovais, etc., the very beginning of human history, he was a person who recorded Hamu Rabbi's laws. Now, where did he get those laws from? He didn't get them from Hashem. He got them from himself. He was probably a very good person. And he knew that people have to behave in a particular way if you want society to function. You can't have a society that doesn't function. You need to be able to live with your neighbors. You need to be able, as a city, to li live with the city that's uh, a few miles away. You need to live in the neighborhoods that you live. You need to, there's different groups of people. You need to be able to interact with each other without there being too much friction. So you have laws. There shouldn't be theft. There shouldn't be misbehavior. There shouldn't be adultery. There shouldn't be murder. There shouldn't, all these things are very important because you want, to you want to govern society. You need to have some type of... Um, restriction in place to make sure that if you cross a red line that society that the, whoever it is that makes sure the society is functioning is going to pluck the people who don't behave correctly out of that society and treat them in the way that they need to be treated punish them whatever it is so that society can be governed as as Pika Ovis says if you don't have judges if you don't have policemen you should know that you will be consumed and we've seen it so many times in history, how the moment that there is no law and order, there is anarchy. But that's not something that's unique to the Torah. That's something that every society throughout history has understood. That's what, that's what my grandfather writes here. He says that every single society has come up with their version of civil law, of how one must conduct oneself. Whatever it is that they thought was correct. In this particular respect, he's talking about and we're referring back to Prika of us. How people should conduct themselves. What is the nice, what is, what is considered to be nice behavior? The etiquette of a good human being. And that's why in this particular Masechta, which talks about the conduct of a human being, humanity, menschlichkeit, of a Jewish person, but really in human terms, we understand what that is. That's why it's called ethics of our fathers. Perke avot is the Hebrew way of describing it, but we just talk about it in English as ethics of our fathers. Moshe Kibbal Torah Sinai says, my grandfather, don't think that this is something that has come up, but somehow there were boichs for us here that there was a bunch of people who got together around a table and they decided this is the way that people should conduct themselves and it's good behavior. No, no. Moshe Kibbal Terami Sinai. Moshe received the Torah at Mount Sinai. He wanted to tell you that Tanoim, those Talmudic sages who composed Maseches Ovois, wanted you to know that these laws the laws pertaining to human behavior that are contained in Maseches Ovois, this is not something that the sages of the Talmud came up with on their own. Even these were said at Mount Sinai. The whole idea of how a human being should behave is something that is embedded. This is what the Baratunura says, is embedded in the Sinaitic revelation. 
From this we can see, We must make a clear differentiation between those manners and the behaviors of the Umay Sa'ilam, of the nations of the world. Between the manners and the behaviors of the Jewish nation, from the moment we became, we were formed into the Jewish nation, we became the children of Hashem. Zera Avram Ahavai the descendants, the seed of Abraham, his beloved, they received the Torah at Mount Sinai. We stood at the foot of Mount Sinai as we learned in Parshas Yisrael. We said, we were ready, we were willing, we were able, we were going to become, and we are, we have remained, we have endured as the nation of God, as the chosen people. Everything about the Torah is about Hashem. It's not about what we think is correct. It's about Hashem. It's so important for the Torah to inform us, and, and not simply to inform us, to underscore that our manners and our behaviors are not like the manners and the behaviors of the nations of the world. They were given to us at Mount Sinai from Hashem Himself. Hashem wants to make sure that we behave correctly, that we know what we're doing, that we are good people. And He gave us over the, the all the different methods, all the methodologies of our behaviors so that we can know how to conduct ourselves in life. And therefore, we can see from this, from this idea that's conveyed to us by the Bartanura at the beginning of Masechet's Ovoice. Rashi. This Rashi is, is creating a parish about the word Ve'ele as opposed to Ele to tell us something that's really, really important. That Parshas Mishpatim, which talks about civil law. Everything that's contained in Parshas Mishpatim nitnu lanu misinai. It comes from Mount Sinai. B'chtei shalo yakum manduhu v'yanase litoin kichukim elu shehem memoiniyim b'yasoidam. There shouldn't be anyone who ever comes up and says, you know what, Parshas Mishpatim, wonderful Parsha, of course it's in the Torah, but you should know this is dealing with financial matters. This is dealing with civil matters. It's no different than the the laws of society in any given society. It doesn't matter where you live and in what era you live. There were always laws governing how you behave, how you, how you um, uh, deal yourself in business, what happens if somebody damages another person, if somebody falls, if somebody, whatever it is, all the different aspects of behavior that uh, you need in order to conduct a society. What do you do in given situations in terms of civil law? That's something that's not unique to the Jewish nation. It exists very much among all the other nations of the world world. You might say, somebody might say, at some point in history, and they have many times, these are just laws, they, they, they exist everywhere in society, they're just the same as the laws of the nations of the world. But the laws of the Torah are not the same. No, no. The laws of the Torah are not like laws which can evolve that they can change, that somehow there is an ability to, to tweak them, 
to inflect them, to somehow create some change in them which is going to mean that the laws are totally different from place to place and from time to time that somehow it worked then but it doesn't work now it worked there and it doesn't work here there's no such thing with the laws of the Torah these are laws in Parshas Mishpotim these laws are the same as every other, the same as Anoichi Hashem Anoichecha Asher Yitzhichah Me'eret Mitzrayim. Amazing. The Aseres Adibrois, the laws that we have in the Aseres Adibrois, the deep, Shomar is Yom HaShabbos Lekatcha, you have to keep Shabbos, you have to observe Shabbos, it's so important to observe Shabbos. That's what we have in the Aseres Adibrois. No different when it comes to the laws of civil matters that govern society. The Eileh HaMishpatim. He wants to dispel any doubt. Rashi wants to make sure that we are not in any doubt that every one of the laws and the ordinances and the directions and directives that are given in Parshas Mishpatim, it's not something that Moshe Rabbeinu just came up with. In you know, he woke up one morning and decided this was a good idea. That somehow he, this is what he came up with. He's a very bright fellow. He woke up one morning and decided, you know what, I think it would be a really good idea if this is the way we conduct our business life. Because I want everyone to be happy and I want everyone to, uh, you know, live in a society where they feel safe and that we feel they feel protected if something goes wrong. They feel that the law is on their side. I, this is Moshe Rabbeinu. After all, he was the leader of the Jewish people. Maybe he came up with this idea. Elo kibel says the Mikdash Alevi not at all. Kibel every single one of these mitzvahs in Mishpatim ve'ele Mishpatim he received them at Har Sinai mipi Hakadosh Baruch Hu bichvayde va'atzmai lefichach and therefore me'achav aklolim va'chukim alolonikvu alpit soirech hadoyer. Seeing as none of these laws that we see in Parshas Mishpatim and generally speaking when it comes to civic, civil law in, in, uh, in the Jewish tradition, there's nothing, it has nothing whatsoever to do with the specific needs of the generation in which the Torah was given. You have no right to change and say that worked then and it doesn't work now. You have no right to make any changes to those laws as time evolves and time goes on. These are laws that remain and endure forever. Just as Hashem himself is something, someone, a God, who endures and lasts forever and forevermore. And says my grandfather, this turns the Dvator into something deeply personal. He says, I want to, I just want to remember and I want to tell you something very, very important. Kibir Königsberg, he was the rabbi in a city called Königsberg in East Prussia, no longer exists. It's now called Kaliningrad. It's its own little enclave of Russia on the Baltic Sea. But in those days, it was Königsberg. It was in Germany. It was in East Prussia. It was the capital of East Prussia. And my grandfather in 1937, after he'd finished, I think, in fact, in 1936, 
very soon after he finished at the Berlin Seminary, the Yeshiva of Rabbi Chil Yaakov Weinberg in Berlin, where he got smicha. He was there for four years between 1932 and 1936. He got smicha and he was appointed to be the chief rabbi of East Prussia and he was the rabbi of Königsberg, which was the capital city. So I want to tell you something. Do you know what Parshas Mishpotim was called in the city of Königsberg in, when I was the rabbi there? It was known as Shabbos Shulchan Oruch. Beautiful. They had a special Shabbos every year that was called Shabbos Shulchan Oruch. What does that mean? This posit, there's another Rashi that says as follows. What does Rashi say? God said to Moses, Don't think to yourself that you simply have to give over this information as if it's, you know, this, you know, when I studied driving, I know I use always tra- I use traffic analogies and motoring analogies. I'm very I'm very fond of that. When you study driving, you get a little book that gives you. In England, it's called the Highway Code, and uh, in a, in the United States, there's also a book, the booklet that you get that teaches all the laws of the particular state that you're in, of how you should conduct yourself while driving, etc. You know when you have to give away, when you don't have to give away, when you have to stop, when you have to start, what do you have to do with speed limit, etc. All the laws of driving. It's a book. Do you, do you know anything about what goes into that book? Why particular rules exist and why other rules don't exist and why they exist in a particular way? You've got no idea. All you need to do is you need to study that, as use it as a study guide. And when you have your test on the laws of driving, however many questions they ask you, they give you a questionnaire. What do you do in this situation? What do you do in that situation? You see this sign, you saw that person, what do you do? And if you answer the questions correctly, whether you understand it or not, you've passed that particular test and you're on your way to getting your driver's license. That's the idea. That's not the Torah. That's not the way the Torah works. That's not the way it works. That's what Rashi says. Don't think to yourself, okay, I'm, now I've got it. I'm going to write it down, I'm going to give it to them. They're going to teach it them two or three times. It's going to be enough. I'm not going to bother trying to get them to understand why it is this way and not another way, or why it is that Hashem wants them to perform a mitzvah like the way that we want them to do it. Says Rashi. That's why it says in the Pesach, you, you place it before them. What does it mean, Tosim Lifneim? Kashulchan Ha'aruch. Like a fully laid table, every aspect. If you look at a table when it's laid, it's got the plates, got the cutlery, the glasses, the food. Every aspect of the meal is there for you to see. And a person can eat straight away. Every aspect is laid out for them so that they totally understand what is going on. And that's it. But Parshas Mishpotim, Parshas Mishpotim. Mufurotim loiv ikri hadinim dine momenus. The details of civil law, of laws relating to financial matters, are laid out before us in great detail. It's laid out for us like a laid table. Every detail and every aspect is put in front of us that we can see it. And therefore it is fitting that on the 
Shabbos, when we read this particular portion of the Torah, Le'kare B'Shem Shabbos Shulchan Aruch, that we should call it Shabbos Shulchan Aruch. I don't know how many people who are watching this and who have studied Parshas Mishpatu in the past have ever thought of it in those terms. You can imagine you had every year a Shabbos that he called Shabbos Shulchan Aruch Shekein Hi, Shulchan Aruch Ledine Mominus, because it is indeed Parshas Mishpatu uniquely has, it's not, I'm not sure it has all the most mitzvahs of any parsha in the Torah. I think there's a parsha in Dvarim that has more, but it, it contains so many mitzvahs. And this is the first time that we have a parsha that has so many mitzvahs relating to financial matters. It is appropriate for us to call it Shabbos Shulchan Aruch. For Omnam, what is a Shabbos, says my grandfather, on that particular Shabbos in Königsberg where he lived. No goya be Königsberg, Sharav, Ha'ir, Noise, Drosha, the rabbi of the city, that was him in those days, would give a Shabbos drosha. It was a Shabbos Shulchan Aruch drosha, like he gave a Shabbos Agodl drosha and a Shabbos Shuva drosha. Kasha bedrosha zu, who haya ma'ire asabrios lis chazik bediktu kaloches va mitzvahs. On that Shabbos, he would give a drosha in which he would encourage people to strengthen themselves. In terms of diktu kalocha and in the observance of mitzvahs, ula hakpit al shmiras kol chelkei ashulchan aruch leprata because it was called shabbos shulchan aruch, he would specifically focus on the fact that they should observe all the halachas of shulchan aruch in every detail befrat and in one particular detail al shmiras hilchas chayshem mishpat on financial matters that they should be very very careful. They should make sure to observe those mitzvahs properly, not ever imagine that those mitzvahs aren't important. Those halachas which pertain to financial arrangements between two people. And here in Parshas Mishpatim we talk about them in particular. Parshas Mishpatim was Shabbos Shulchan Aruch in Königsberg. I want to tell you something, something about Königsberg. I think it's interesting. So there was a massive shul in Königsberg. It was called actually the New Shul, the New Synagogue. Here's a picture of it. I'm sorry for those of you who are listening, you can't see the photograph. But here's a picture of the synagogue as it looks. It's been colorized. This was the synagogue in Königsberg. Uh, it was built, I believe, in the late 19th century. And it was destroyed, sadly, um, Kristallnacht, November 1938. It was burnt to the ground. They destroyed it. They took all the Sifrei Torah. They... Um, they burnt them, they destroyed them, they burnt the building down, and it was completely destroyed. Now, I have to tell you, Königsberg, in East Prussia, it was on the Russian front, and at some point the Russian army uh, took Königsberg, but in order to do so, they needed to bomb it, and they bombed Königsberg out of existence. To the, I have to tell you to what extent, that many, many years later, my grandfather returned to Königsberg together with my father, and they went there, and they discovered that the original streets had been so obliterated that when they rebuilt the city of Königsberg, now called Kaliningrad, they didn't build it on the same street grid that had existed before the Second World War. There was no remnant of that street grid, and they just built as if it was a flat piece of land. They built a city on a totally different street grid, and in order for them to know where particular places were, in the city that had been there before the Second World War. For example, my father wanted to know where he was born. What they did was, is they created two maps. They had a map underneath of the existing Kaliningrad 
street map and then they put a map a tracing paper that you can see through of the streets as they had been before the second world war which is a totally different grid and if you look on that map and you see you can see in a particular place where you were born even though it may be in the middle of a building or in the middle of a parking lot you know there was a building before the second world war and now it's a parking lot or whatever it is because the whole place was destroyed legamra nothing exists but my father in the 1990s decided to re-establish the community in Königsberg, which he did do and he brought my grandfather to uh, to install the new rabbi, the first rabbi of Kaliningrad, Königsberg, that had been ever a rabbi of that city since 1938 when my grandfather left. And this was, I think, in 1998, around that time. So many, many years had passed. It was decades later and they installed the rabbi. I, th I believe the rabbi is still there. But the city felt terrible that the Jewish community who were, who were there, none of them, uh, descended from any of the Jews that had lived in Königsberg before the Second World War. By the way, the rabbi of this shul, that the picture I've showed you here, one of the rabbis was uh, Rav Mecklenburg, who was the author of Haksava Kabbalah. And I think the Malbim was also the rabbi of this, of this shul. And you should know that Rabbi Stroll Salanta lived in Königsberg. It was a very well-known city of Jews. I don't think there were that many Jews. There were a few fat thousand Jews there at its peak. But nevertheless, it was considered a wealthy and successful and um, uh, strong Jewish community in Germany. This shul was destroyed. The city of Kaliningrad, which is considered a district in Russia, even though it's separated from Russia by a strip of land, they decided they're going to rebuild this shul. And they did. I have a photograph here of the shul that was uh, um, opened. It was. It's in the same location, more or less, that the old shul was, and it's based architecturally almost entirely on the original shul. I'm showing you both photos. So you see the similarity is very, very strong. They used the original architectural drawings and they based it on that and they rebuilt the shul. In 2018, it was open. I don't know how many people dove in there on Shabbos. I've never been to Kaliningrad. I'm not sure I will ever go. I just think it's a fascinating piece of information. And it's something to do with my heritage, my grandfather being the rabbi there. My father was born in Königsberg. He left in 1938 as a young child, returned there many decades later. Uh, and he was able to reestablish the community there 60 years later. But it is an incredible testament to the endurance of Jewish life, uh, not just in places that you'd expect, but in a place like Königsberg, Kaliningrad, which Königsberg had a community from the 1700s onwards, was destroyed by the Nazis in 1938, and was re-established there in the 1990s, and it continues to be there to this day. Let's continue with the next part of the uh, parish of the Mikdash HaLevi on Parshas Mishpatim. Ve'ela mishpatim asher tosim lifneim says Rashi, ve'loma nismecha parshas dinin leparshas mizbeach. If you look at the end of parshas Yisra, you'll see there's a discussion there about korbanos the mizbeach, and uh, the question that Rashi asks, not his question, it's the medrash, is why is it that the parsha of the mizbeach is in proximity to the parsha that deals with civil law? Loy malachos says Rashi. 
it's to teach you a very important piece of information. Shetosim Sanhedrim Eitzel Hamizbeach. That when you're going to have a Sanhedrin, at the time of the Beis Hamikdash, the supreme cause of the Jewish people should sit, it should reside, it should meet. Its sessions should take place next to the Mizbeach. And in fact, that's the way it was in the Azara of the Beis Hamikdash. There was a particular location that was set aside for the Sanhedrin. It should be in proximity to each other. So the reason why the Parsha of the Mizbeach, at the end of Parsha Yisroi, is just before the parish of Mishpatim, which deals with civil matters, because the Sanhedrin would rule on civil matters, and it's important that the Sanhedrin should be in close proximity to the Mizbeach. L'chaira nira lahoisiv tam noisav milvada tam shehizgerashi. Says the Mikdash HaLevi, I want to add another reason as to why the Mizbeach should be in such close proximity, in addition to what it is that Rashi says. And it relates to what Rashi actually himself said on the final posuk of the previous parsha. The posuk says there, you shouldn't um, go up on the mizbeach in such a way that you will reveal your nakedness. And why should that be? You shouldn't reveal your nakedness when you're going up on the Mizbeach. Because the fact is that there are steps going up the Mizbeach, the ramp of the Mizbeach, and you need to raise your legs and you have to widen your, your, uh, your paces in order to get up the Mizbeach. It's not something that would actually ultimately reveal your nakedness. Why not? They wore pants, they wore trousers underneath. So even though when you widen your pace, you're not going to reveal your nakedness. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, says Rashi, the fact that you widen your pace that you're running up and, and you have to stretch your legs further means that it's almost like it appears to people who don't who don't know that you're wearing pants if you're revealing your nakedness. And therefore, the ramp of the Mizbeach is going to be embarrassed. You're going to embarrass it because it's almost as if you're revealing your nakedness because you're not walking in a... Uh, um, in a refined manner, you're running up and widening your paces. That's not appropriate. Varidvarim Kalvachoyme says, Rashi, an incredible thing. It is a Kalvachoyme. You listening to this Kalvachoyme? These stones that, are, that make up the Mizbeach, the ramp of the Mizbeach, they're not fussy about, but you, do they know that you're embarrassing them? Do they feel embarrassed? Come on, of course not. And nevertheless, the Torah teaches you. You shouldn't behave in a way that could embarrass them if they were conscious, if they were sentient. You shouldn't behave that way, because in that case, you would be embarrassing to them. Your friend who is created in the image of God, of your Creator, and they are fussy. Human beings are fussy in the way that you treat them. And they, are you treating them with dignity or not? All the more so. Says Rashi, the way we behave by 
the coin behaves by going up on the Mizbeach should teach us all a lesson of how we should behave towards our fellow man. You should know something. The final posuk of the previous parsha says the Mikdash Alevi is there to teach you of how we should relate to others and always treat others with, with the utmost and the greatest respect. It's one of the most important aspects of the laws of Ben Adam Lachaber of how we conduct ourselves with other people. Therefore, it makes sense that from this we continue to deal with matters that pertain to how we treat our fellow man. There is a connection. The proximity is not random. The Mizbeach, how you treat the Mizbeach, is there as a springboard, is there as a platform uh, for the next part of the Torah, which is there to tell you of how we should treat our fellow man, the Khan Nagdish. Now, but I want to say something more important, says the Mikdash Alevi. I want to focus on something which is even stronger. I want to underscore a particular point that is brought out here. How does Parshas Mishpatim begin? It begins with a Parsha of Evet Ivri. What's an Evet Ivri? An indentured servant, somebody who, because they owe money, because they have no means of paying that money back, have to sell themselves into service to a Jewish owner, and they have to work off that debt because the money that is paid in order for them to work is paid to the person that the Eved owes money to, and that's the way that they can pay off their debt. It would be a waste of time to throw them into jail, but at the very least that someone benefit from the fact that they are uh, working for them and they're going to pay for it and that money is going to be used to pay off the debt that is owed by that person. But now we're going to see that by means of what we've just explained is going to be a beautiful pshat. It's really going to fit in so wonderfully. We know that a master who has bought himself an Eved Ivri, this indentured servant, this Jewish servant, they have a great obligation, a duty, that they must behave towards them in such a fashion that they are going to be treated with dignity and respect and they have to worry for them in every aspect of their lives when they live with them. Now, how did it begin? We saw that you have to behave, it's somehow the, the piece about the Mizbeach and how we run up the ramp of the Mizbeach, the Kohen runs up that ramp, is meant to teach you of how we are meant to behave towards our friends, towards our equals. Now it's hashove, so it's not just hashove hashove, but ma'amode mechuyev adam lishmar. It's not just that someone who's equal to you that the Torah would want you to behave towards in a dignified manner, not to embarrass them, not to treat them badly. Even to your indentured servant, someone who is forced to work for you is in a lower position than you, a lower rung of the ladder to you. Even to that person you have to behave with such dignity and respect and treat them in the way that, they, that every other human being needs to be treated. You might think, okay, 
The Torah wants us to behave towards those who are equal to us in a particular way. But those who are lower than us, whatever that may mean in your mind, we don't have to behave that way. Absolutely not. He has to be on guard and he has to make sure that that person feels treated like an equal. With great respect, politeness, that their needs are taken care of, that you feel a sense of duty towards them. And there's another way of looking at this, which is absolutely beautiful. The Torah also wants to give an indicator to those Dayonim judges who are, you know, they are the ones who are arbiters of the law. They're the ones who are guardians of the law. They have to behave like the Mizbeach. Think about it. The Mizbeach behaves in a particular way, and that's how Dayon and that's how judges have to behave. The Mizbeach makes no differentiation between the Korban Ha'oni, the Korban, the sacrifice of the poor, and the sacrifice of the rich. The Mizbeach, by the way, the Mizbeach had a certain element of independence because the fire came from within the Mizbeach. It wasn't something that human beings did. And the Mizbeach had no differentiation between anybody who brought a carbon. If you brought a carbon and you weren't in the right tax bracket, the Mizbeach's fire didn't change and go on to a, a, lower, a lower fire. No, and if you were wealthier, if you had more money, it's not like the Mizbeach treated your carbon in a better way. The Mizbeach treated every carbon equally. So too, that's the way Dayonim have to behave towards everyone who comes in front of them, whether they are wealthy or whether they are poor. Shouldn't in any way differentiate between different types of litigants that may come in front of you as a dying to think to yourself okay by the way it doesn't mean you, no, you can't have a bias towards the poor over the rich or of the rich over the poor everybody must be treated equally everybody must be treated in the same way in order for the law to be just and for there to be justice for all we'll leave it here for today thank you so much thank you